0: hello and welcome to a new episode of other record labels i'm your host scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label but our biggest thing that we do and we've been doing now for almost seven years i think uh six five i don't know who cares is we talk to independent record labels of all shapes and sizes from all over the world of all genres. And today on the show, I'm so excited to chat with Reach Records. Reach Records is a very popular gospel, Christian record label from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, A lot of you and a lot of people in our community would be familiar with them. They've done some incredible things. And they've done some things outside of the normal gospel scene, and they've been able to maintain their independence. And they're artist-owned and founded by, their, by the artist LaCrae, which is super cool. And so we talk all about that. We talk about the genre. We talk about what it means to kind of be outside of the norm and staying independent and doing things your own way and building your own community. So I think there's a lot that you're going to pull from today's episode. You can check out Reach Records by going to reachrecords.com. A huge thank you to our sponsor, Precision Pressing, for sponsoring today's episode. Precision Pressing is a vinyl pressing plant. They're one of the biggest in North America, if not the biggest, and they are... um great friends and great supporters of other record labels and i've been talking about them all month but i when i mentioned them in our facebook community that they were this month's sponsor uh, there was a bunch of people who mentioned that they've also used precision pressing and that they've all all had great success with them i've done you know a half dozen projects with them and i've always been happy and so a huge shout out to them you can learn more about them by going to precisionpressing.com uh, you mentioned Atlanta. It's funny. I, I was I was just thinking like, does being from Atlanta, is that part of your identity? Does that play a role in your label's identity at all? I know that's become kind of a new music hub. The new Nashville is sort of, or like the new LA over, yeah. over the past couple of years. Same in the film industry. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Is that part of your identity?
1: Um a little bit so reach records originally we've been around for about 20 years this was before my time um and it started out in dallas texas so Mm. dallas is really where reach originated and then after that it was in memphis for a while i don't know the exact timeline and that it was in memphis i do know that it was there for a little bit and then i want to say that they moved out here right around 2010 um And I believe they've been here ever since, or not I believe, I know that they've been here ever since. Um, And so we, while Reach Records did not originate in Atlanta, um, there was a very strategic move on behalf of um, Lecrae and Ben, who founded the label. Um, Just knowing, you know, at that point, Atlanta was a place for hip hop. um, And I think they were able to call out pretty early on that it would be um a great place to settle down set those roots um and really establish themselves you know reach as a a a fairly niche um we we uh release and service a pretty uh niche audience Mm -hmm. um and so to be able to place ourselves in a place where hip-hop is respected i think it gives some of that credibility to you know a hip-hop that is christian Mm -hmm. hip-hop um and for them to see like, okay, you guys are here, you're you're planted. Um, like I said, it gives a little bit more credibility and um, validity to to what they're doing.
0: It seems too, that it would provide maybe, whether intentionally or unintentionally a separation from the Christian scene that happens in Nashville, too. I mean, that's kind of a, a very distinct scene and reach seems to yes. be a little bit different than that exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's- exactly.
1: Yes. Um, yeah.
0: Well, we're gonna go into that a little bit more, but let me ask you about your identity of being a Christian label or a gospel label. Um, it, niches, as you mentioned, like it's it's great for business. Like from what we've seen, it's actually really good to to be able to narrow and to separate so that a certain group of people can say, I'm really into this like this all of these different parameters that make up this sound or this identity. Um, does it ever limit you though, in how, what you can do, or or how you're perceived in the music industry?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so just to affirm everything that you said, uh, especially now, I mean, definitely as we were building, uh, or when Ben and Lecrae were originally building reach, um, they were de- like the, the the ability to build within a very niche community definitely helped them, and then even now. Um, I just think like the the way that the industry is going, because it's so saturated, uh, you really and, and the way that like short form content is working and um, the way that social media is even just trending right now, like it really is about uh, making sure that your content, your music, everything is meeting, you know, this like you, these these niche communities and mm-hmm. really focusing in on that and then, you know, allowing them to to help break you into the next level. Um, and that's certainly helped get reach to where it's at. But yeah, to answer your question about limitations, when you are something like Christian hip hop, like I said, uh, started it out 20 years ago. Um, and so what we talk about a lot is that Christian hip hop, like it wasn't, it was a weird thing in hip hop, but it was also a weird thing in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Nashville culture isn't necessarily something that reach uh has necessarily fit into um the church in general just there was a perception of hip-hop and so they were like how can you be a christian and rap like it it didn't make sense but then on the hip-hop side it was like you know there was a certain um cultural affiliation that that programmers and radio and hip-hop culture um desired uh before they could they would they really wanted to give reach a chance and so Mm. reach kind of like or and i would say lecrae and christian hip-hop it's always while it's existed in the intersection of you know faith and hip-hop culture um it hasn't been accepted by both um and there was a time where it was accepted by neither of those so really that's why that that niching down was so important when we were building this foundation this audience i was a fan at at the time so i remember like it was so specific to me as somebody that you know i'm a woman of color at the time um i was immigrant and i became a christian but i didn't feel like i fit this very contemporary image of christian christianity that i had seen um, and so, Lecrae and some of the artists that were coming out of reach really—I uh, there were people that I resonated with the music, the style. It, it was some. It was something that I felt like I had community with. Um, so, but going back to your question, um, especially now. You know, I feel like there's been significant strides on the Christian side. And even on the hip-hop side, Lecrae's been able to really break into the mainstream of hip-hop. But even now, it feels like, you know, we'll have these hits that will, like, really resonate on social media. We have a song, Coming in Hot, that was the number one uh, trending song on Instagram in 2021. And even then, you know, we couldn't get any hip-hop programming on that on the radio side. Um, And even DSPs, it's like constantly an uphill battle on the hip-hop side. So... It's, uh, yeah, it definitely presents its limitations, but I think also we are used to it and (laughs) um, it requires a certain level of scrappiness for sure. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and I I love it that what we've, what we have now today with technology is that You can create your own distribution channels, your own ways to access the audience. And we see this in every micro genre. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago when you guys got started, like you're mentioning 30 years ago, if you're not allowed on Christian radio and you're not allowed on non Christian radio, regular mainstream radio, then there's nowhere for you. Same with retail. And Mm -hmm. now you can just say, okay, you guys do you we're going straight to the user. Yeah. that's incredible
1: yeah well, and even back then, you know um we we've always during the age of physical like we definitely always manufactured physical mm-hmm. and yeah, it was a huge part of our sales but we've always over indexed on digital and it's because the way that Reach started Ben talks about all the time like, they were really, really big on Myspace. And a big mm. part of the discovery Smart. that they had was, you know, like, one, they were on the ground going to youth groups, doing a lot of stuff, like trying to break into these um, different uh, communities in person. But then online, they were always like, that's how they they um, were able to Find different audiences that were outside of their territory, and it was through MySpace. And so, I think we've always uh, needed to be um, really leaning into whatever platform of the age is, because that is how you find those communities and really connect with them.
0: That's so smart, and it's something that a lot of the bigger entities don't do and can't do because they need to hire a young intern. They're just blind to it, and they or they come on like ten years too late. So that's awesome, absolutely, for an independent to do. Does a Christian? label you mentioned this a little bit. Do you have aspirations of, of mainstream breakthroughs? Is that something that a label like yours would strategize about achieving or is it actually more beneficial just to stay niche and to stay committed to your community? I almost I question whether your community would your community want its artists to blow up or would they want them to, to, to be territorial over them?
1: Yeah. Great question. I mean, we did achieve a level of that with Lecrae, I would say. Um and uh you know, during that time as he was I, you wouldn't they would have been like around he went number 1 with his album Anomaly 2014 and then after that um started to do a lot more Uh, mainstream features, and there was a little bit of backlash, uh, absolutely. But then you also get the other side where, you know, especially, I think, in the Christian community, when they see um, somebody that resonates with their faith, when there is, like, a level of ownership. So, it was kind of a mixed bag um, with that. I would say that reach, I like to... um, It kind of just depends on all the different artist goals. Um, I... Yeah, we definitely have artists on the label that are like, we want to stay specifically in the Christian market. Um, And then you have artists that are like, we want to create explicitly Christian music, but they do have hopes of that crossing over. Um, and of course that does require again, like really niching down into that and hoping that something resonates, which we do have some instances of that happening right now. Um, which it's been a while since that's happened. So that's really encouraging. And then you know you do have other artists that are uh down to make more lifestyle uh content. Um, that's not necessarily, you know, explicitly Christian, but it's also more positive leaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um that can live in more mainstream spaces and uh, we're down to work with those artists, too. It's just a reality of like, hey, this is going to be a bit of an uphill battle because programmers do know us as the Christian label. Um, but we have had success breaking Lecrae, uh as I said, into some other um Uh, yeah, and some mainstream um, outlets. And so that's helped us retain some relationships and also some trust with different partners and where, like, will we bring them something that is popping off, um, is culturally relevant, is sonically on par Mm. with what the mainstream is playing. They're down to support.
0: It, It makes me think about how frustrating it must be because there's this unwritten rule where if somebody starts off with the Christian label, and I think of, like, Christian rock from the 90s, but if you start off yeah. with a Christian label, then it's really difficult to break out of that into mainstream, but if you start off in mainstream music and then you decide to do a gospel album like Kanye West, or or like many artists have, you're, a hero. Years, you're a hero, you can do yeah. both, you can dip yeah. your toes over here, it's like, it's such a, a double standard.
1: Yes. And, but also, like, the counter to that is, like, it's much harder to start, on, start out in the mainstream
0: good point
1: um without you know it would be a lot easier to go from mainstream to then like a christian audience um because i agree uh that nowadays it's kind of just like it's so hard to to break out into that world without really, like, niching down. So we tend to kind of encourage artists, like, hey, if you want to make faith-based music, really lean into that first, and then, you know, start to experiment what it looks like to break out into other markets.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, So I'm judging from the outside, limited knowledge and experience, but I view, like, traditional CCM or, like, that Christian um music seen as like fairly homogenous like not leaving a lot of room for genres that don't kind of like fit so uh, i can think of other indie labels like tooth and nail as a great example of of christian labels that have carved out their own space and created their own audience that's like independent of of the bigger machine and so do you feel like that's something that you guys have done over the years
1: Yes, you just cut out for a little bit again, but I think I got okay. uh, um, okay, sorry. the gist of your question. I think it might be me. Um, forgive me if I miss anything. That's okay. No, you're fine. Uh, let me know if I'm cutting out too. Um, okay. So, yeah, tooth nail is a great example. Um, uh, sorry. Um, your question. Okay, now I'm like. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Tech is
0: is so hard because it really, like, I wish we could be in person. Uh, Next time I'll fly down. So, uh, or you come up here. It's nice and chilly. Uh, (laughs) So, Basically, I'm just curious, like when you don't conform to these, like I mean, we see this in jazz too. I mean, some people have to conform to whatever New York City jazz dictates as the rules. And when they don't, they're these kind of weird independent labels. But that's what we love as music fans. And so do you feel like you've done that? You've created this this niche oh. outside of that homogenous um CCM scene.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, it's kind of, and it's it's kind of like you know how I was saying earlier. We always say that reach exists in this intersection mm-hmm. of faith and hip hop, and because of that, um, while Christianity has you know a lot of the Chris like the what I would say like the Christian music gatekeepers um, right. mm-hmm. over the last decade really let Lecrae in. Um, if you look at Christian like contemporary Christian music, and if you just look at even just the radio format. Um, it, to your point, it is uh, a very, very specific sound that they play, um, and we've never fit that sound. Um, we've never fit, you know, the contemporary Christian sound, um, and it's something that I hope with time that'll start to change a little bit because you need a genre to evolve um, and and grow so that you can reach, you know, a younger demographic. That being said. Um, it's why we've always done so well in digital, you know, we've, yeah. we've, uh, had, um, Lecrae, Andy Mineo, um, they've had gold and platinum records with zero radio support and it's because they've been able to reach this audience that's really resonated with them. Mm. Um, we have the, there's Reach Records and then there's also like the 116 brand, um, which is, you know, stands for Romans 116 based off of, uh, um, that verse, and then with that, like it's the verse starts out for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, so unashamed um, is is a um, this banner that the one one six community has really carried, and what's really beautiful about that uh, is not only has did Lecrae at the very beginning build this audience, but it was so niche, and it was a movement that people started to get behind that this, the brand became so strong that any time an artist would be signed to reach, the they had an immediate audience mm. uh, attached to them. Yeah. Um, and so really, it's we call it the reach effect. I mean, any that we sign an artist, they're following almost quadruples, and it's not because of this crazy press campaign. It's not because of uh, out of home. It's not because of anything other than reach on their platform announces a new artist mm-hmm. and it's because reach has developed such a core cult following that, that, that they're just doubt da- like they know whatever artist we sign they know exactly what they're getting and they know that it's going to resonate with um the mission of reach uh so to answer your question yes we've been able to <laughs> create that outside of the traditional christian audience
0: so that a and r process must be very intense because you're i mean you're giving someone basically a golden ticket and they, but they have to like respect the, the kind of the ethos that you've created over 20 years.
1: Yes. Um, and what's really, and I, I mean, our shout out to our a team, A.S. Harris, uh, is, is our head an a and here at Reach. And he, uh, I don't, um, take anything that he does lightly. Mm-hmm. Everything, all of our artists, um, there's always just this really natural relational uh, process that takes place before we sign them. Um, and what's really dope is actually probably since about 2018, all of the artists that we've signed actually grew up listening to Lecrae and Tripoli and mm. Andy Mineo's music. Um, and so now we have this entirely new generation of artists that um Actually, grew up being a fan of like this one one six movement and and what Lecrae had built uh, wow. alongside you know some of the inaugural reach artists, uh, and so it is the A process, um, process. It's a very careful process, but also there's. You come to reach because you know what reach is about too, Uh, and so I think like if you're within the Christian hip hop community, um, hopefully you know you know about reach, and typically there's it it happens a little bit more. um, The connections tend to happen a little bit more naturally that way.
0: So tell me about what what advice would you give for somebody who wanted to start a brand new Christian label? I mean, I actually I'll, I'll get maybe every once in two months or every couple of months, somebody will email me and say that that's the genre that they're pursuing for their new indie label. I, I feel like I'm kind of of two minds because I'm like, half of me is like, great. I don't hear that very often. You're going to beat out all of the other little indie rock labels who aren't so defined. And But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what, what you're going to do outside of the Nashville machine. I, I, I'm scared for yeah. you. So what advice do you, is there room for people to start uh, a reach records like like you guys did 20 years ago
1: that's a great question um I'd be curious to hear you know like what um, direction they're going sonically sure. I do believe that there's room um, for more Christian labels that are independent to really thrive but I think it's going to require uh innovation mm. and an understanding of what the younger consumers really want. Um, I think that's what has set Reach apart uh, is, you know, there's always an intentionality, like, even from Lecrae, like, he um, is continuously, like, developing our younger talent. He's aware of the younger artists that are out there. Like, he has um, really positioned himself as an executive that's committed to uh, continuing the growth of the genre and creating infrastructure. And I think... uh, to start a Christian label um, that's independent in this day and age, you have to think about, like, what's the infrastructure? Am I willing to uh, help build the infrastructure for it, especially if it's a like even more niche within Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, and then defining what that sound is, what you want those artists to be. Um, and, yeah, just making sure that it's... I just think... I think we have a ton of traditional contemporary Christian artists, and they're doing great things, and this isn't, you know... Sure. To to diminish any of that hard work. But when you see what's happening on social media, you see the 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 sounds that are trending, you you notice like these Gen Z and you know, we have to start thinking about Gen Alpha now, like their consumption habits. Yeah. Are we giving platform and space for these artists that are Christians but but want to create in a way that's going to reach that younger market. Um and I think anybody that's willing to Figure out what that looks like and kind of get in the trenches and do that work. One hundred percent. Not only is there space for that, but I think the genre really needs it in order to survive in the next, you know, You're several totally decades. You're totally right.
0: You're totally right, and I think that's true for lots of genres. I think lots of genres, jazz, is an yeah. example I already used, but they, they need innovation as well, and and they're getting it. And and gospel. I got to give a shout out to one of my favorite labels. I discovered recently is Gospel Hydration out of the UK, who they've done stuff, you know, with Afrobeats and gospel music, and they're even doing lo-fi chill and instrumental music that is gospel music, which is, you know, bizarre to think about, but it has a place because it doesn't exist. And I I love that to see innovation and evolution in gospel and in any genre. Do you guys feel, you're talking about reaching younger generations, do you feel a responsibility to evolve the sound to progress the sound like will we hear curse words in gospel music soon like where where does it go from here you know what i mean oh
1: not that (laughs) way (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah yeah i mean again the 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 and i know that i said this earlier but like the gatekeepers of traditional i mean when you look at like dsp's like i think on the dsp side most of the Programmers are like, they're kind of on the same page. They're They're like wanting to evolve when you look at more traditional formats. And I would even say most programmers across the board, you know, they, they want to evolve, but I think it's just also getting the, um, the stakeholders to buy in as well. And, and, you know, a more traditional audience to buy in. Um, But I mean, we're focused on a really huge mentioned uh, uh hydration we were actually just in the uk Recent i assume this is included, um not this week <laughs> um but yeah, on right. friday uh so by so I can I can announce this cuz sure. by the time that yeah. this podcast goes live Couple goes weeks, live yeah. this will be up but um, I just got an email from our our rep at Amazon Music and she just let us know that um, they're finally launching their their Afro-Gospel playlist this Friday, and they're going to feature um, their face-out. It's going to be with our artist, Limo Blaze. And this is a wow. conversation that we've been having for a year um, since Limo's music started to take off and some of the stuff that Gospel Hydration was doing. Mm. I've been talking to our Amazon rep for a while about what it would look like to start to develop programming around this new sound. Yeah. And it's really dope that they're launching it. Spotify just launched their first one a year ago. So there's... Um, there's an innovation happening in the same way that 20 years ago, people in the church were like, well, what is Christian hip hop now? Yeah. You have people in Lima blaze tells me all the time that there's churches and in, um, in Nigeria that don't understand what he's doing. They're like "Afrobeat isn't traditional African gospel. Like we can't let this in the church. And they're hearing him and, and other artists in his lane start to do that. And now they're welcoming that sound in mm. and it's going insane on the internet this song that he has releasing on friday called over it already has over 2500 creates on social media and it's because there's an audience that's hungry for this um more progressive sound of christian music where the content is uh it's positive and it, it resonates with their convictions but it's also quality and um is appealing to to the youth. So to answer your question that that is a really big focus for us and I think uh you know uh, there's there's others that are kind of thinking in the same way in the Christian space.
0: That's awesome and I'm glad to hear that the DSPs are and I it's one of the things I've loved about the the trend of playlists is to, for them to introduce a new style of music and to break out of that. I mean in your space it was there was worship and then there was Mm-hmm. contemporary Christian music. And so to hear that there's these new sub sub genres is exciting. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about um our, our community of record labels is quite insulated and we know why we exist and, and what we bring to the artist relationship. And I want to talk a little bit about the artist label relationship and the value of advocating for artists and basically what we do in our jobs. Um, but as you know, it's trendy to, to poop on labels. And and a lot of sure. people say labels don't have a place anymore. And we've talked about gatekeepers and a lot of people see labels as gatekeepers. Um, in your opinion, why does the record label still play a vital role? Um, why are record labels like yours? One of the good guys.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, that's definitely a conversation that I try to approach, uh, with, um, And just always trying to learn and understand the other perspective. And I think my answer to that is, and I say this kindly, but I think not every artist is built the same. Um, I'm certainly, I have my gifts and and I know what my weaknesses are. Um, And I think not every artist is Russ. And I think that there's a lot of artists that are like Russ and have that mentality and um are able to, you know, create music, create merch, run all of these, basically build this empire on their own. And I'm like, I support that hundred percent. But I also think that there's maybe artists that, you know, that doesn't come as naturally to them or they're still learning. Or maybe they just don't want to do all of that and they want to rely on a team. And I think um and I think it's also it's still Rare that anybody still makes it to that level completely on their own, and even some of these independent artists that are making it on their own would also say you need to build a team. Yeah. Um. And so that's where you know I think a label, if you can negotiate a great deal, um, and and set level ex- expectations, and um, I think that that's where there's benefit for labels, and I also think you know there's there's uh, there's definitely. You know, to be made for an artist that's do that has been doing it on their own and they have a certain level of success and they have um, You know, they can leverage that on their own um, But if you have a label like for example, we for the most part I think our sauce really is an artist development. It's something that we have really thought about a lot You know when in the last few years when you were seeing all of these major labels really pick up some of these tiktok stars we started to kind of look into what that looked like and the reality was like we could just kept coming back to we're great at artist development and i look at some of our artists that we've signed and they started out um with barely any releases and very very small followings and it took time but um you know with consistency and releases and also um and I really want to say this, because I think sometimes we really under, we talk a lot about the marketing side of what a label does, and I'm on the marketing side, so <laughs> um, uh, we talk about like, you know, there's a lot that you can do on the marketing side on your own, and I agree with that, even as the marketing, the head of marketing <laughs> at, at our label. That being said, I think that argument really uh, misses the, there's, there's a general understanding undervaluing and an underappreciation for what an A&R team can do for an artist and that's something where I get shouting on our a team because I just the way that they can really help them a label that is willing to be in the trenches with you build I, I mean like have transparency, have honesty, um, have relationship to where you can trust them on the music development side. And then of course on the marketing side, like they need to be, uh, like I feel challenged by this all the time, especially nowadays when artists are, um, we do need our artists to give a little bit more by Mm -hmm. being willing to create social content and things like this. I'm always challenged challenging my team to make sure that we're bringing value whether it's you know bringing in new creative directors bringing in um uh handling the logistics of different shoots and then of course on the dsp side there's so many different things that i still think um even with tools like spotify for artists there are so many other dsps and different uh opportunities that artists can get that they on their own aren't able to. And so when you have a label, when you have somebody that's dedicated to those commercial partnerships, there's a lot of value that can be found there. Um, but of course, you need to keep your label in check and make sure that <laughs> there is that value exchange that's happening. That was it's, a very long answer no, to your question. Good, good. It's
0: helpful. It's great. I hope people listen to it on halftime speed so they don't miss anything. So I do. <laughs> it's funny you talked about market, marketing because my next question is about this idea about how do you divide your attention Uh, marketing the brand of reach versus marketing the artist and the artist's own brand. And you talked about this incredible platform that you've created to the point where when a new artist comes on, they're instantly famous in your community. So uh, how do you invest in these artists, build up their brand, market their new release and their new single at the same time, marketing reach and making sure that reach is a brand that people know um, whether or not they know any of the individual artists or all of the artists, but they know the brand. So how do you yeah. balance that? Is one more important than the other?
1: That's a great question. Cause it's, uh, <laughs> it's something that we actually just met about it today. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> because we've had so many great moments with our artists. Um, just uh, like our, we continue to, oh, we're, all of our artists continue to release and just immediately start trending on Instagram, which is wonderful. But also it just means like, we're always go, go, go responding to that. Um, and so I would say like, honestly, top priority right now are, our artists. Um, Mm -hmm. and making sure like right now we have releases every week. We have catalog that's like popping off. So I try to have my team make sure that they're, um, you know, focused on that and it's funny, uh, we have our 20-year anniversary of Reach Records um oh, that wow. just happened last month, and we're gonna be celebrating it for the next month for the next year. Yeah. Um and just today, I was like able to sit down with a couple of people from the team and be able to figure out like what does it look like to honor the last 20 years and to leverage this moment to create a moment to thank the fans yeah. and um to to thank the artists and just create something that's really special. And it's hard. When uh, you do have all of these moments with the artists, and again, you want to provide value to the artists, and you want the artists to know that you know they're they like we we know how uh, the we don't have label profitability works. We know yeah. the financials of it, and so we want our artists to know that they're a priority. But with that, we have to kind of like be able to set aside some time. It's just time management. <laughs> yeah. uh, so to answer your question, I don't really have a direct answer no, for right. that yeah. other than. We prioritize the artists, and then when we have time to to celebrate and and to create this, these like special reach moments, um, we try to create those. But never mad, we're never upset that we have uh, uh, unlimited amount of artists yeah. um, releases yeah. to to that's, promote.
0: That's awesome. No, that's a good answer. So y- the idea of LaCrae being an artist on the label and starting the label, and very similar to a lot of stories by independent artists yeah. where an artist is like, I'm going to do this on my own. Um, what's the importance now of being an artist led label um, or a label founded by an artist? How does that change things uh, in in how you operate and how you treat artists?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know, reach is all that I've known in the industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I don't have anything really, Else to compare it to, but I am always so grateful to have the artist perspective um at the table. So, you know, every Monday we meet as an executive team. LeCrae is always a part of that. And, you know, it's it's important. Like he's our artist too. So if um we market, you know, his release, he's gonna let us know immediately. Um You know, what his, his, what he thought the wins were, what he thought, you know, we could improve on is. And so having that direct feedback is always helpful. And then just having that artist perspective. Um, I think it just helps us empathize with the, with the different artists better. Um, he also just has a great, I mean, I can't speak to his individual relationship with the artist, but from my perspective, I know that he, uh, really tries to spend a lot of intentional time with a different artist. And so, um, I think that that also helps create a level of trust as well. When he's, he is, he is speaking with some of the artists for him to like, um, you know, if there's ever, ever like a question of motives or a question of, um, effort, yeah, you know, LeCrae can always speak from his perspective as as the label as well and kind of speak to um what we're doing. And so I think it I I just think it's an incredible advantage. Uh, and again that empathy goes a really, really long way um to establishing trust between the artist and the label.
0: You talked, it just made me think, you talked about wins and and how things went. Do you have these, do you have debrief times with the the artists after a campaign? Do you ever ask, or maybe even before, do you ask them what their expectations are for a campaign or try to temper their expectations? Um, How do you know if they're happy after an album is out or, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, well, we'll always hear if they're not happy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably, that's probably common with every label. Um, but yeah, I think ahead of time, you know, we try to set, uh, objectives around, Mm -hmm. um, a release and a campaign. So typically, you know, we try to use data and, and just like, uh, um, as a label, propose some different objectives to make sure that the artists align, have them speak into it. We try to address those and then that kind of keeps us in line throughout the release process. Um, and then after we send out uh, a recap that shows, you know, these are different campaigns that we launched, here are different um, looks that we got um, and typically we'll sell, send that out to artist teams. I think right now we're trying to come up with a much more formal way mm. uh, to to debrief those moments. But I will say, uh, I think because of, I don't know if I said this earlier, but the the way that Reach started, um, you know, Ben and LaCrae met in college and they were doing basically these like ministry, street ministry, mm. that, and then Lecrae started to rap. And they were going to these youth groups and rapping. It was like really organic. And then LaCray's roommate got involved who would later, his name was Tadashi and would later be an inaugural Reach artist. Um, and then they, you know, they got another kid from the community named Tripley. So really the initiation of Reach was a community of uh guys doing ministry together that never thought that they would end up doing this full time. Mm. And so that's created a culture within reach where like there is just this um, community within the artists and even has translated um, and bled into the culture of the staff. Like we, uh, most of our staff has have some sort of relationship with all of the artists. They um, really trust our AR team for the most part. And I think that has, we always, um, get feedback that way, even if it's not super formal. It's really helpful to just like know, um, even when I'm just like, I'm checking in with an artist about something that's not specifically release-related, but just about something else, I always try to check in and see, you know, like, is there anything that we can be improving on or anything that you're looking for that you haven't seen? Um, I think just, like, creating those intentional moments for feedback, because life is always moving so fast, Um, I just think it's important, and it it helps artists, I think, feel heard as well.
0: Is there a way for... The label mates, the artists on the label, to interact with each other and and to to kind of foster that community. I imagine they're from all over the country and the world. Is that something on yeah. your mind?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, that's something that uh, I know Lecrae and our and our, and our team and um, even our engineer, like and Ben, our CEO, they all try to really create that. One of the things that um, Reach did at the very beginning, and it's something that we've always been known for. Um, they started something called the Unashamed Tour at the very beginning of the uh, like um, right as Reach was starting to grow. Mm-hmm. Where basically it was just all of the the artists on the label were touring the country. Mm. Um, and in 2022, last year um, was our sixth Unashamed Tour, and again it was all eight artists on the label basically touring the entire city together and so that's another thing that like we really love it because obviously it um continues to cultivate um the brand and creates that audience connection and it's obviously great for the music and the artists but also the reason that we love it as well is because it does foster that community within the artists as well they're on the road together um it's something that we we are really it's it's an opportunity for them to kind of create
0: that as well. Um, how, what do you, as the, the the music industry is changing all the time, like what are you excited about right now? What, what channels or, or ways of connecting with fans is working really well for you? Um, you know, from a marketing standpoint or distribution, or is there formats that you're interested in? Like, is, is there, are you positive right now about the outlook of the music industry as a whole? Not necessarily, just reach or or just gospel music, but that too.
1: Um, Yeah, I think the, over the last few years, the um, rise of short form content has, I think in general, been a positive thing. Sorry, my camera got a little blurry there right. for a second. Um, I think in general, it has been a more positive thing because it, especially for more up and coming talent, um, niche artists, having that distribution channel via TikTok reels, um, YouTube shorts, yeah, it's been a really positive thing for us. So I, th- I think that's exciting for me, even though it's been a while now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I still feel like it's really benefiting our artists. Um, and even just like finding creative ways to uh dive into that. Um so that's been a really positive thing. Um, other things that I'm excited about, I think I mentioned this earlier, but um I it's funny because I we've talked about niches a lot throughout this entire podcast, but I've been uh Really just studying the market and seeing what some people are saying. And I think right now, more than ever, these niche communities are the best way for artists to really build up um their fan bases. Wow. And and I think there's just more opportunities now than ever. And if you look at the different things that social platforms are even doing, like Instagram lunch broadcasts. And then I heard recently, I'm not hundred percent sure if this is if they've like announced this, but I've heard that there's going to be like, and the way that you can do close friends on Instagram, you're yeah. going to be able to do close friends feeds. Um, oh, okay, and so that to me is even more. Mm confirmation that these like micro communities, it's going to be less about like broadcasting to a million people and more about like really broadcasting to these people that like a smaller amount of people that are really engaged and are really tapped in and want to help you grow. And that's really exciting for me to, figure that out with each artist you were speaking about, you know, Mm, how do we uh, take time to develop their individual brands? And as much as, you know, I am proud that reach has cultivated this brand and this movement. um, I also recognize that every artist um, has their own identity. They want to create their own platform. And with these resources that are coming up in the market and the way that social media is kind of trending, it just gets me really excited to, be able to um, build these micro communities around them.
0: That's so smart. And and when you talk about that, I start to think of the different micro communities I find myself in. I I was very. I mean, I like everyone five ten years ago. I was happy to get rid of Facebook because I didn't really care to hear my political yeah. opinions of friends and family members and crazy grandmas. But but then those affinity groups started popping up, and and you could join a private group for a very specific interest of things you collect and then things in your, you know, a private group for people in your neighborhood and then mm-hmm. at your kid's school and so on and so on. And, and now I find that like, I can't get rid of Facebook because of these affinity communities. It just show it proves your point that, that yeah. they are intensifying.
1: Yeah. Even WhatsApp, I think they just rolled out like a broadcast option on WhatsApp too, which mm. is just even just like for an artist that's trying to even, I mean, we have some artists that like, we want to do some stuff internationally with, and he, there's just like new opportunities for that to build community. Like you get to DM and like hear specific, these like special exclusive things from an artist. I just, um, yeah, I That's get awesome. really excited about that. That's great. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for this, uh, your time to chat. I mean, I, I I love your label. I love what you guys have done. I love how you existed. Uh, you exist as an independent. I You're still independent, right? You're, you guys are independent.
1: We are a hundred percent independent. Good. We uh, <laughs> distribute independent. We distribute completely in house too. It's something that we're really wow, proud. Wow, so. that's awesome. Yes, yes. yeah,
0: I, it's great. I remember um, Atlanta. Well, no, it was Nashville. I think it was Nashville became Nashville because of like it being central, like all the highways. So for like yeah. Elvis and or Johnny Cash, they would just go out from there. And Atlanta is the same kind of way, right? Like it's super central.
1: We're working towards it. We're definitely working towards creating more infrastructure. And I think music biz is supposed to be based out here next year. And you hear a lot of these different conferences. They want to be out here. So we're on our way.
0: That's awesome. I was there (laughs) in... 2010 and I, i'm from canada and i was there in 2010 and they had like a huge ice storm well it wasn't a huge ice storm it was like a quarter of an inch of of snow on the ground and it was like an apocalypse that happened like cars were in the ditch everywhere and they were they i remember they poured gravel all over the streets and yeah. everything oh my gosh it was so much fun what, I year, love it, what year did you say that was 2010 maybe 2011 yeah, yeah okay 20- yeah these
1: ice storms I did. I moved here in 2017, but I've heard about some okay. of these. They're like historic, like yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: terrible. Crazy time <laughs> to be here.
0: But I, I love Atlanta. It's a great place. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Such an honor to chat with you.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.
0: Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Dee for being on the show. Go to reachrecords.com to learn more about that great label. I hope you learned something from today's episode. And again, another shout out to our friends at Precision Pressing for sponsoring today's episode. Our preferred destination for pressing vinyl records and so if you're thinking about making your own vinyl records for your record label or if you're an independent artist and you're thinking about pressing vinyl they're doing some really really cool things right now with vinyl with short runs making things more accessible and affordable for independent artists and independent record labels so go to precisionpressing.com